I make it a point to, to be that person that they can connect with in whatever fashion they walk into my class. And they could be having a bad day or a great day or a day in between. And they know that they're going to get, you know, steady Mr. Newman. Hey, you all. My name's Chris Miller. Welcome to the Talk to People podcast, a weekly show dedicated toward exploring the healing power of social connection and proving why your life is better when you talk to people. Today, we have a super awesome conversation with Mr. Jeremy Newman. He's a teacher, a business owner, a pilot, but overall, he's an adventurer. And that's what we're going to talk about is the power of connection and adventure. The beauty of human interaction is anytime you ever talk to somebody, it's unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's why a lot of the times we stress out. But if we lean into that, the power of adventure, then there can be such cool things that happen. It's an incredible episode. You're really going to enjoy it. Before I hand you off, I want to say, be sure to rate the Talk to People podcast wherever you're listening. If you haven't already, check out the 4K videos. I'm sitting here right now talking to a camera. I've recorded in three different spots for this intro. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. I'll give you a chance. Go and hit the subscribe button now because I'm going to release some really cool episodes coming up and I don't want you to miss them. So subscribe. Thank you all for being here. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy Newman. All right. With that, you are officially live in the dining room studio. Mr. Jeremy Newman, how are you, sir? I'm so great. I'm so happy to be here. I've been following the podcast um, from before you even went video, went live on the video. And then I started watching on YouTube a little bit. And it's been so fun to watch you grow. And uh, I'm just happy to sit, sit in this chair. And we got Sonny here to join us too. So <laughs> Yeah, the studio mascot. Yeah. <laughs> on command. He knows whenever they start. So I'm going to start off with some rapid fire questions. We are going to get to know you a little bit through the rapid fire questions and then go from there. Sweet. Okay. So what has been your favorite age so far? Oh man, I would have to say my, uh, my, probably my early thirties and I'm just past my early thirties, but in <laughs> yeah. my early thirties. Yeah, for sure. And why? Um, you know, opportunities, travel, family. Um, really, I feel like I'm, have really appreciated connecting with the people that are in my life at that time. Right, so right, right, right. And then what is your favorite thing to do during the summertime? It used to be water skiing. Um, but I would say hanging out with the family and, and yeah, campfires, campfires. Well, why did it used to be water skiing? I was much younger and more limber. And, <laughs> yeah. I uh, grew up water skiing a lot. And we, we had a lake or a, a lake house. We'd go there during the summer and rip it up on the behind the boat and um it was amazing times then um but i'm not i'm just not as you know not as limber these days could you do one ski yeah yeah wow um, and you know i got to a point where i could get up on one ski too and, Whoa. and and so like the whole like coming around to the dock and and dropping one ski and yeah having to keep track of it like those days are in the past for me thankfully that is so cool i went skiing and it's so hard to get up in the first place so to see people get up on one ski, I was like, holy cow. Yeah. All right. What is the last craft you made? Oh, man. <clears throat> My crafts now are like uh, big boy crafts. Like I'm working <laughs> on the house. And right. it's funny because we like every time, every day at soccer when I'd show up and everyone would be asking how the master bathroom's coming along. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. a slow, slow project. Um, are you still working on it? Still working on it. <laughs> yeah. But we're so close. For all those who are thinking about it, I know Ryan kept asking about it, like, hey, how's that going? How's yeah. that going? 
it's still ongoing, right? Yeah, and it's like a slow twist of the dagger because my wife is the same. Like, okay, well, we gotta get this done. Yeah, but life gets busy. It'll be done. Yeah, and then if you were to write a book, what would that book be about? Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I think adventure, adventure, totally. Um, there's just so much adventure out there, and and uh, I feel like growing up um, in North Dakota and and kind of seeing the you know, I, there's adventurous people in North Dakota, but we, we don't always like get out of our bubble. And it, it took me until like um, moving overseas and living overseas to really truly understand what adventure could look like yeah. and what it feels like. And so, yeah, a book would be about adventure for sure. Wow. Well, let's go back to the beginning where the adventure starts. So tell me, what was your childhood like? Yeah. So um, I was born and raised in North Dakota. Um, the frozen tundra during the winter and beautiful summers uh, during the summertime. And um, I actually um, had a very uh, unorthodox childhood in that um, when I was just before my second birthday, I was placed under foster care. And uh, for those of you that are, for listeners that are familiar with foster care, it, um, it kind of has this bad stigma in that children that are placed in foster care that, it's for um, a negative reason or they're bad kids or, you know, for whatever, for whatever, for whatever negative reason, it's just, it, it's not looked on as a positive thing by society. But fortunately for me, as a two-year-old, I was placed in this foster home and I was given this wonderful, loving family who took me in along with some other foster kids. And, and we were a bit of a foster, we were a family and these, and these, you know, kids would, come and go and as as ha that happens in foster care but I guess lucky for me I you know I got to stay and we're kind of you know getting into the heavy part of it here but I grew up in a foster home where I got to stay and they became you know mom and dad and the you know my bro foster brothers and sisters became my brothers and sisters and so I would say that the family that I have now is the family that I was supposed to have um and then from, you know, from there I had a pretty normal childhood. It was, it was like playing sports and running around with friends in, you know, in our neighborhood. Um, I had great experiences at school for the most part. And I wasn't the, you know, the greatest student, but like I did my thing. And it was because of the foster family that I had um, that allowed me to do that. So whenever you were two years old, you were placed in the foster system. Yeah. And you joined this family of all of these people from all of these different places and it creates its own family, which is, I remember we were meeting over coffee and that was so beautiful whenever I was listening to that because we think about social connection. One of the places that we figure out how to connect with others is in our family, like our yeah. siblings, how our parents treat us, how our par parents treat each other. Whenever our parents' friends come over, how they, our uncles, our aunts, all of that. But it starts with the family. And in your experience, your family was a bit different than like other people's families. So whenever you were a little boy, did you have any shame in that? What, what was that process like whenever people would say, okay, where's your mom or where's your dad? Yeah. To be honest, I don't think I truly recognized that my family was different until you know probably you know fourth or fifth grade 
when it was when I was truly starting to connect with friends who had biological parents and brothers and sisters who also look like them. Um, but I also had, I had a, um, a neighbor shout out to Matt who he lived right next to me and we were the, we were the same age. We went to grade school together and I could easily, you know, run across the driveway and knock on Matt's door. And like, I mean, we were, we were inseparable for many, many years. And so, to grow up with the family that I had, but also had this neighbor family who pretty much took me in just as their son as well. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up at like in a traditional foster care setting because I had so much support around me. I believe that's why it turned out like I did is because of the support and the connection with, with not just my family and the people that were coming in or the kids that were coming in and, and going, but the neighborhood was, was so supportive of, of what my parents were doing as foster parents, but then also us kids. It was, it's a beautiful thing for sure. And the, the whole phrase, it takes a village to raise a child and you had the neighborhood. So it's like, this is the neighborhood that's bringing me up and you're involved in sports. You're involved in all of that. My mom's adopted and I hear her talk about, she went in and out of different families and she finally ended up with her one family and grew up there but her biological parents it was always she was always unsure of what to do there because she didn't know should i go see them or should i well first off she didn't know who they were right so it's like do i figure out who they are Uh, and, and that's such a messy process and there's no guidebook for it right and it's something that a lot of people don't have to experience but whenever you do have to experience them and you're younger, like, I don't know, what, what do I do? I have this family here, but apparently I have a biological family. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to navigate that. It's an interesting topic because I think everyone's experience is so different. You know, for some, whatever reason, kids get into a foster care program where their, their original home life isn't great and they need to get out of there to feel safe and to, you know, have a childhood that they you know, can really grow into. Whereas there's other circumstances where like, it's just not the best situation to, um, to grow up or to have parents like the, uh, the biological parents. And, and so placing them into a foster home is for the time being is going to be the best for the parents and the kids. And I believe that some parents have the intention of, okay, well let my child grow up in a foster care setting for a little bit. And then when I can get my things together, then I'm going to take my son or daughter back and like, then we can really go at this as a family. And I, and I, and I believe that the positive intentions of, of doing that are there. Yeah. Um, but I think as a, as someone who, who grew up in foster care, similar to your mom and trying to find a, a place to interact and build a relationship with biological parents, knowing that maybe they weren't ready to ever have me back or your mom back or um, they, they didn't, they're not able to even take care of themselves to, to, to then take care of the children. Like um, that, I think that's a tough, tough thing to, to really understand as a kid. Fortunately for me, my foster parents allowed me to go or kind of set the, the, the tone for me to go visit with my, my foster or my biological dad, my, my biological mother passed away. Um, when I was about one and a half and then, um, I don't know, 
I don't know my full story, you know, around that time, but I believe that my biological dad didn't really have the capacity to safely take care of me. And mm -hmm. so um, he sacrificed kind of our relationship to make sure that I was given to or, or had an opportunity to grow up in a, in a safe um, a safe home. And as hard as it was for him and, and now as hard as it, as it is to build a relationship, he did the right thing for me. Um, but I, I believe it was probably pretty hard for him. Yeah. Um, but it's, it can be tricky. Like, like I see my foster parents as they're my parents. And for, for a long time, I didn't know any different. And it took really till, till adulthood to really recognize that, oh, I maybe have this other relationship out here with my biological dad that I should lean into a little bit and maybe try to figure some things out, which is still a pretty big process for me. We get so caught up in the day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, everyone does. And you, like, I tend to forget about that I had this interesting childhood. And, but it, when it really, when it really comes to, to mind is when I'm, you know, at church and, and Pastor Justin is saying his message and it's like, oh, I need to really lean into this other relationship or maybe there is a little bit, little bit of forgiveness that I need to, you know, hold on my heart a little bit so I can, you know, let go of some things that have been on my mind that I don't often think about. Yeah. You know, I smile about it now because it's, when I think about my biological dad, I think that he had positive intentions of, of getting me to a better situation. When did you have that realization? It probably took, you know, I probably didn't have that realization until five or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 36 now. And, and so like, I'm a proper adult, like, and I've had lots of adult experiences and kids and, and, you know, the whole like American dream thing. Like I've done, done all that. And it, and it took, it took all these other experiences to, to be like, Oh, oh I'm a dad now. So like, well, what about my dad? You know? Mm -hmm. So, so I'm not a dad. I have, you know, the dog who comes in and out of the frame. Yeah. But I have spoke with other men that talk about fatherhood and that process of the paradigm shift and your world changes. And same thing with women about motherhood, right? The, the world shifts, the world changes, the priorities go askew. Everything that you knew prior to it is different after having a kid. And you also have a reframing process, right? Because then you get to see the perspective of the father which then gives you a way new perspective of your father, mm -hmm. right? And it's something that I can talk about, but I have no idea what that's like. Yet I hear from men who are fathers countless times how transformative that realization is. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. Like the, but even you think of like when, as a man when you're growing up that every year is, an, is a new year of, of experience that, experiences that almost in a way get you ready for when you're younger manhood, but then also like fatherhood. And so there's no doubt that you're at the stage in your life where you're ready for fatherhood. Um, but you don't really truly feel it yourself until you, it happens. Yeah. And so you think of like, you know, having a house and taking care of a house and, or like a dog or taking care of your wife, like those are all fatherly things. Mm -hmm. And so 
and moms have it of course too like moms are just way i think moms are way better than at like the, that whole thing <laughs> yeah, than, than totally. dads <laughs> right um but dads have it too i wonder why i i it's it's something i think about often because annie my wife she's superpower yeah watching her operate and watching her function and all the things that she does i'm like wow and not to say that there's inferiority or superiority or anything like that but it's just so fascinating seeing the difference between the two so how do you think foster care made you into the person that you are today? Well, I think that um, foster care is a very, um, I would say, special place, but also interesting for a number of reasons. But I had a chance to see other kids coming in and out who I've never met before and they've never met me. Mm-hmm. And so you think of like accepting others for who they are or their situation or, or like accepting them and not even knowing their situation. There was a, um, I guess my foster brother who, who came in and he was a year or two younger than me. And his, his name was, uh, Doug and we called him Dougie. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know anything about Dougie, but he instantly became my brother. And I mean, he, of he, he stuck around for a little bit and, you know, we, we built some sort of relationship as young kids, but like, I don't know. I don't know where Dougie is anymore. And Dougie probably doesn't know where I am anymore. But I think that just seeing that and being part of that, the in and out, ingrained in me, and not that I knew, knew it in the moment, but really ingrained in me that, like, I don't know everyone's story. And I don't know where they come from, what they've been through. But I accept them. Wow. And I believe that you could be, we could be good for each other. So... That's so good. Let's do like, let's be friends. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I say that, but, and I'm a pretty reserved person. I don't, I don't easily let people in. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I do let someone in, we're connected for life. I love that, man. I, one of the things that I like that you're good at is you're really good at being like level-headed and seeing, s- seeming to be cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like whenever we're prepping for this, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And it's funny because I'm nervous. Yeah. I, I've done dozens and dozens of these and I get nervous every time. And I'm not to say you aren't nervous, but being able to present yourself as if, yeah, 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 everything's cool. Right. And having that stability, I don't think people get that unless they've been exposed to instability. Yeah. I get, I get accused of that as well. And it's like, um, and yeah, there's definitely like two sides of the coin where, um, I've always, like I said, been reserved and, and a lot of times hold my emotions in and that's, that doesn't bode well when you have a wife or, or kids who need your emotion, Yeah, both like, both like the positive emotions and the, and the negative ones, because it's okay to be angry or frustrated, um, and for them to know about it, but like, cause like there's learn there's learning opportunities within within your emotions, and so it's good for of course kids to see that. But I think it stems from me just really holding in a lot a lot of emotions, and I have like some of my bracelets on my on my my wrist are are one of them says grow on it, and that's an area of my life where I I continue to have to grow in, and that's mm. sharing emotions and being less cool, calm, and collected. But I also think that there's the aspect of in my in my job in my career as a teacher that. I need to have it together. Yeah. And whether the lesson is going 
is garbage and it's not going very well, or it's a, it's a rock star, you know, lesson like the kids. Well, see now I, I go back and forth because it's okay for kids to see you fit me fail as the teacher. Yeah. Because again, and they can learn from that, but, but I like, I just like having it all together. I like being well-prepared and I just like, I, I'm a calm guy. Yeah. I, it's, it's a funny thing to think about because the oftentimes people say, man, I should have composed myself better than, yeah. but I also have moments and I don't know, have you ever had moments where you're like, I shouldn't have been as cool, calm and collected in that moment. Um, <clears throat> no, I don't <laughs> yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, and I think where I show the most of most emotion is on is like playing sports or like me too. Yeah. And, um, like when I was playing, when I was pretty heavy into playing soccer, when we were living in the middle East and, and I mean, that's kind of a hotbed for, for soccer. And that's where like my, my real, your fire, my real fire came out. And it was, it, it felt good to like let loose a little bit to, yeah. to have some of these really, really big emotions. Cause, cause you know, I don't have them very often. Right. But that's like the fault of my own where like, I need to be able to let go and like, it's okay to be emotional yeah, and show emotion, but definitely on the, like the, the sports pitch or, or the field. That's, that's where I've been my most emotional for sure. The high highs and the low lows too. Yeah. I operate in the, if, if high highs are eight to 10 and low lows are one to three, I'm always in the four to seven. Yeah. I want to get better because I want to be a better celebrator. Yeah. Like if big things pop up, I want to be able to celebrate it, but I've never had the knack of celebration. Yeah. I see people around me who are really good at celebrating and something big will happen. I remember whenever I got this full ride to grad school, which was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And not only were they like a full ride, but we want to pay you to come to school. And I held that information for 10 days. I didn't tell anybody. Because I had a really hard time, one, disclosing, and two, being like, yeah, yeah. So I have to challenge myself, like you're saying, to grow and being able to celebrate and then being able to be sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, too, like, and knowing you is that despite being a podcast host, like, you don't need to be the center of attention. And so for, for people to come together to celebrate this big moment for you, like, I can see where that would be hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very similar in that way that I'm not a good celebrator and um, that's tough because there's lots to celebrate. And are you self-critical? Um, I wouldn't say so. I'm confident in who I am and, and who I need to be for. You're you know, gracious with yourself. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Because what my bad combination was, was I'd beat myself up whenever something bad would happen but then whenever something good would happen, I wouldn't pat myself on the back. Yeah. And it was one-sided. And there's this interesting idea of we will, you celebrate what you reward and what you reward is reinforced and what's reinforced is replicated. So I'd give more attention to my downfall. And I feel like by giving that more of my space, then I'd be like, man, I am putting way more energy in there than I am on the other side of the house. Yeah. So w when I see kind of like people who are, who have more of that disposition, I'm always like interested. Yeah. To your point about, you know, the you feeling what a nine and a 10 looks like or feels like, and, or, and also feeling what a one and a two and a three feels like. 
as as someone who is more even keel and experiences lots of fours, fives, sixes, and sevens, you kind of lose out on like the nines and tens and the ones and twos and threes. And those are, those are some of the best experiences. And so, and I don't remember where I heard it might've been a podcast somewhere or a book that I read, but if you're constantly living in that middle ground where I, where I am at, you know, the, the fours, fives and sixes that it feels good to get to that nine and 10, but like you always like come back to that comfort zone. (laughs) Yeah. But no, like let's get out and like (laughs) adventure again. Right. Like get to the nines and tens, but also experience the ones and twos. So how have you been growing and expressing emotion? Yeah. I've had many failures in that, in that realm of, of life for myself. I've, I've tried journaling. Um, and I, I was able to stick to it for a number of weeks and it was kind of a nightly thing for me and it felt really good. Like, um, and I could just write whatever, you know, whether it was a note to my wife or something for myself to remember, or, you know, it felt really good to journal and then it, it stopped. And, and, but I think that's where like, I just didn't make it a priority. You know, I also tried to grow through, you know, podcasts, listening to, uh, people who I emulated or wanted to emulate or, or looked up to and, or who I knew were doing things the right way or, or speaking to the right people. Who, and like the whole thing of like, you're, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. Well, for a while it was like, I'm hanging out with these five podcasters <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, or just listening to their episodes. So like, maybe I'm, I'm trying to grow in ways that, you know, they're already really excellent in life. And so, yeah. I mean, like it's, I'm always trying to like surround myself with the right people, um, make the right choices and then, you know, build a relationship with my family yeah. and keep that growing. I, I feel similar about the podcasters. I've been wondering something lately. I wonder if there's something they take that makes them more mentally agile or witty. Yeah. Like a neuro supplement because... I find myself on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to, I listen to the three hour podcast, Chris Williamson and Alex Hormozzi did. Yeah. The and one that just came out. The whole thing yeah. was all of this brilliant stuff. Yeah. And I find myself sitting in a chair with the microphone in my face, cameras on and being like, uh, right. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, what do I say? How do I say it? And it's so hard. And the thing about podcasting and the thing about formulating thoughts and articulating them is we see the zenith. So we see the Chris Williamson's who has done, what does he say, over 600 episodes with brilliant people and he prepares like a madman. And then we see the Jordan Peterson's who've been studying for 40 years and we hop on a podcast and we want to do what they're doing. Right. And then once you go live, it's so much harder and it's not just limited to podcasting. We see that in every area with teaching, right? You see the master teacher who can run a classroom and customize it to everybody right then and there. And you have all these different personalities and they know how to thread the needle. They know how to give enough attention to the person who needs it and how not to give too much attention to the person who can't handle it. Yep. 
So whenever I'm sitting here thinking about those five people and thinking about how to grow and yeah. it, w- one good way to grow is to recognize I'm, I, I won't be able to be like Chris Williamson, you know, I am close. But you don't know that. Like, well, here's why. If I study to the point that Chris Williamson studies, it's not going to look like that. Yeah. Because I am my own makeup, right? right? I have my own strategy and my own, my style. And that's the really interesting thing is we have no clue what fully developed Chris or fully developed Jeremy looks like because there's no one out there who has our genetic makeup. And if we don't reach it, then the whole world misses out. Right. One, I think to your point there too, is, is that like Chris Williamson and some of these other uh, bigger podcast guys that we, we watch, like we see there, what is, what looks to us like a finished product. And yes, they're still growing, but like even Chris Williamson, a few a few hundred podcasts or even a couple hundred podca- podcast episodes in, uh, he hired like a, a speech coach. And, yes. And like he knew that it, to take it to the next level, it was like, I need to, I need to do this. I need to learn how to speak better, articulate better. And so, and, and same with the, same with the other podcasters. It wasn't, it wasn't something that happened overnight for them, although it does feel like it. Um, and even from, from, from your perspective as uh, through your podcast, it was, you started out as audio only and now your video and now it's 4k and now the conversations are getting better and, um, you're telling great stories and you're doing all the social media stuff. And now you've got this other, you know, the side, the side gig podcast right. for the nonprofits. And so the growth is, is constant. It's, and it doesn't feel like it. That's right. the funny part with me Yeah, is seeing it and hearing it. Earlier today, I was feeling like, man, you're a bum. And that's negative self-talk. Yeah. And there was some things that happened that made me feel that way. And I had to be like, no, that's not true. Like, let's look at the evidence. And I am daily trying to provide more evidence that would testify to the contrary, right? Like, no, you aren't lazy. Like, look at this. But then there's this, my wife is really good at this. She'll tell me, hey, it's not about what you do. It's who you are. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But who I am is a pretty good representation of the things that I do. You know, so I I, I think about that as well. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like you just, we all have things that we need to grow at, but the things that we feel most important to us in our lives at this moment, like we want to be like that. Like I want to be the rock star at it. It's tough to have patience for that stuff. It's super tough. I, I'm, I'm, ripping, I'm ripping off something, but Chris Williamson was talking and he said, you have to reverse engineer the person you want to become. And if you want to become an individual of patience, more than likely you're going to be, have to be put through some really tough times yeah. to build the patience. Yeah. And if I want to be someone who's really good at communicating, then I'm going to have to put myself in situations to where maybe I don't know what to say, or maybe I don't know how to say it and figuring out how to, and figuring out how other people communicate and the best way to navigate that, Yeah, which with teaching is something that you've probably done a ton. So let's talk about what made you move out of the United States. Um, adventure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love adventure. Man. Yeah. It's, 
adventure is an incredible thing and and you can there's many ways to find adventure you can find adventure in your backyard to in a totally different country but um luckily for me and my wife and the friends that i met overseas we we were allowed to we were because we were teachers we had an opportunity to seek employment in a different country and what's interesting is that i had no clue about it as, as someone who was in undergrad getting my um my bachelor's in education and 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 later a master's and and getting my teaching license i had no clue like teaching abroad even existed and it was until like i was scrolling through twitter it was my first year teaching and i saw this this gentleman in singapore who had posted some some videos and this so this was like you know 16 years ago whatever it was uh 15 years ago and um so twitter was like big and there's there's i was following some other pe professionals on twitter and and was using it more like a professional development opportunity and, and saw this guy who was teaching the same thing i was doing just in singapore and i was like well first where the where the heck is singapore and so i'm, I'm googling, googling it on the map and, <laughs> and then i realized that there's there's other PE teachers doing the same thing in all these other countries and so i i looked i did i just dug into it and i was like okay so there's international schools where they're teaching American curriculum or like British curriculum or, or the Australian curriculum. And, and they're doing the same job I am essentially just in a different country. And instantly it was, that's adventure. There's some adventure there. And so I made it a point that um, I've tried to figure out what the hiring requirements were, were for, for those types of jobs. And it wasn't like I, I'm not going to go overseas to teach English type of thing. It was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a PE and I'm a health teacher. I'm passionate about, you know, living a healthy lifestyle and helping my students do the same, but I want to do it in a different country. I want to try it out because adventure. And so I knew that I had to have a master's degree. I had to have at least three years of teaching experience here in the U S and then, um, then schools international would start to look at me as a potential, a potential candidate. Once I hit that, like the, the, the three year mark of teaching, it was just like job fair. So there's job fairs all over the U S and so I was like, okay, I got signed for job fairs and I didn't even have to go to a job fair. Like the, this, like you put in your credentials into the, the online portal and all these schools all over the world have access to that. Wow. And then, then, but then as the teacher, like being able to see all these schools sign up, it's like, Oh, Oh, I can, what Africa? Like I can go on safari every weekend or, um, Southeast Asia, where there's pad thai. I didn't even know what pad thai was like, at that time. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. Go, so this is the North Dakota kid in me coming <laughs> right. out because it's like, holy cow, there's all this out here that I don't even know existed. But now all of a sudden, like I'm going to be that North Dakota kid living somewhere totally incredible. And so I ended up getting hired and I had interviewed at um, just through Skype at, at some different schools, one in, in Guatemala, another in South Korea. But my first offer, my first real offer was at this school in Oman. And Oman is in the Gulf countries in the Middle East. And so um, you think of like the peninsula of Saudi Arabia, you have, you know, um, United Arab Emirates where Dubai is, you have Oman, you have Yemen. And so, you know, I was hired, I think, uh, the October. And then that following summer ended up like hopping on a flight to a part of the world that I never thought that I would visit. 
number one, because everything at that time that we heard in the news was all negative of the people, the culture, the wars. And that's what the people that I talked to as well from home were like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why would you go put yourself in that situation? It turns out when I got there, it was the complete opposite. The people are incredibly welcoming. The culture is beautiful. The adventure is at your fingertips. Uh, but I think most importantly, as a teacher, you got to experience um, the different cultures of the world. And luckily, so the, the school that I was at was an American international school. And so it was, we were teaching an American curriculum to kids in the, in the city of Muscat, the capital of Oman. Um, it was their families and those kids that wanted the American education. And so my students were from all over the world. They were just, their families were living in the country and, and I got to experience their cultures and um, learn about all these different countries and, and experiences through my students. And then it was like, then, okay, now the adventure's on because I know that uh, from my German family that if I go to, if I go to Germany during Oktoberfest, it's going to be party. Or if I go to Germany during Christmas, there's going to be some really beautiful Christmas markets and some amazing skiing. Um, or if I go to Thailand and, and I go during spring break and I can have endless pad Thai straight off the street and, you know, foot massages galore. Like there's just through that experience, I had, I had so many great experiences and met so many great people, not just my colleagues, but also, uh, the families that I served as a teacher. Um, and I, and every time I talk to a teacher here in, in town, um, especially younger ones or teaching couples or teachers that are single, those are like the prime candidates for international. Um, and that's who a lot of international schools are looking for. And so every time I talk to them, it's like, have you heard about this? No, you have to look into it. And like, here's the job fairs you can go to. It's like, I'm like trying to relive that experience through them <laughs> yeah. because it was just so incredible. And I'll say this, even as, uh, from, from like the financial perspective, because as, as teachers in the U S the saying is you don't teach for the money and it's, it's, it's partially true. But if you're a teacher, um, and you go overseas, um, it's a much different game over there. It's because, uh, international schools want really quality teachers and they're willing to, they're willing to pay them and they're willing to support them. And they do that through a lot of times free housing, airplane tickets to and from home every summer. So there's lots of, there's lots of perks to it. How do you think someone can go find adventure? It's a mindset. It's a hundred percent a mindset. I think it comes from just being curious as well. Like, in, in our, in the podcast studio here, like we have, like you have this, the, the great setup, but the blinds are closed. I don't know what's in your backyard. Right. Like there could be some really cool things back there. And I love like, I love campfires. I love just the sun's going down. You have the crackle of the fire. It's nice and warm. Well, we don't need the warmth now, but like that feel, I love that. That could be back there. That could be back there. And so I, th I think too, it's like, it, yeah, it's the curiosity and, and, um, you know, the positive attitude. Do you see that in people? Do you get adventurous whenever people share their stories? Because there's so much for me, that's one of the big ways that I live out my adventure is there is so much novelty. Every person you meet, yeah. 
you have no clue what they did. Like whenever we met, we were playing soccer. You know, you, you were good at soccer. I was like, okay, he's good at soccer. And then I learned more and then I learned more and then I learned more. And then I'm, whoa, all of this really cool stuff. That could have happened with all of the guys that were playing soccer. I just didn't talk to him as much. Yeah. Right. And the more we ask people questions and the more information that we surface, more likely than not, it's going to be like entertaining and enlightening and people will be like, Oh, I have a boring life. They'll be like, Oh, yeah. I grew up with 12 siblings and my family made me do karate when I was young and I got a black belt when I was six, but I have a boring life. Yeah. It's like, you don't have a boring life. Like listen to how that sounds. That's incredible. Yeah. So do you find yourself satisfying your curiosity by getting to know others? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes from, I, I think like the, the basis of this podcast too, is asking such thoughtful questions mm -hmm. and being just, you know, authentically curious about who you're talking to. And I think that's how, you know, how we connected initially too, is just being curious about one another um, and being curious about the people around us, especially at soccer. But it's, a, I, I, it's a skill too. Like, um, and it's a selfless skill. Like you have to not think of yourself and think more of others. And that's when the, like the true curiosity and, and question asking comes out, I think. And having a good time. There's a, a yeah. really good quote that says, your world is limited by your language. Yeah. And we can process all the stuff we can process through the English language, but we're also limited to how many people we can connect to. That's right. And this whole thing's about talking to people and being able to build social connection. And if people are considering learning another language, it's like, go for it. Because you can expand all of the people you can connect to. You can learn. I hear once you dream in a different language, then you know you really made oh, it. Oh, yeah. I've heard that too. Wow. Can That's you, powerful. Yeah. Can you imagine having a dream in a completely different structure and formula than what you're used to? Yeah. It, it's, it, it makes me wonder how much bigger everything that I'm involved in could be in if I could be dropping Spanish and Chinese and Arabic. Uh, but I, I be, hearing you talk, I want to leave the country. And one of the coolest things that I think you're good at is articulating how beautiful adventure can be. Yeah. That'd be something that you'd be good at if you get on a microphone sometime and you build a show is that'd be sweet articulating adventure and why it matters for people to go out and go do things would be a really cool thing. It would be, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny you brought that up is because, you know, we, you and I had talked about when we met over coffee that one time about yeah. like the different podcast ideas that you could and, and the ideas that are untouched and then the ones that are saturated. Um, but I hadn't really thought about like the podcast of adventure and I, and I'm sure there's many podcasts like that out there, but there's, there's a way to niche it down a little bit, I believe. Oh Yeah into a category of one podcast you totally could the there's so many ways you could do it but i imagine rei something like that yeah. i imagine they have a podcast right or uh, think of all those adventure brands like that yeah the, the rock climbers and the mountain bikers i'm sure they have podcasts but if you you totally could make it down to a category of one podcast you want this is something i've been learning your podcast should be so specific that someone sees it and it's like, oh my gosh, that's me. Yeah. Right. And then they show up 
and people hear that and they're like, but I don't want to limit all these people from not listening to my podcast or from listening to my podcast. And the truth is that if it's so broad, nobody will listen. That's true. <laughs> right? Well, and the true beauty of it, as we were talking about, is the adventure, like your your adventure could look totally different than anyone else's adventure. Yes. And so there's that niche right there. The yeah. concept of social adventure, like adventuring through social connection to explore the stories of others and relive their memories in a way that you can fuse the past memory that they had into the current that you've never experienced present day, you know, like that that's fascinating for me to think about. Um, what do you think the biggest benefit in leaving the country is? I think it's the people and whether, whether you do it just to visit for a week or two or, um, someone does it to, uh, for a career or a lifestyle change, it's, um, it's hundred percent the people and the culture. It's, you just can learn so much through, through, other people and, and here we are like you can learn so much through connecting with other people <laughs> yeah and talking to other people yeah and, and the reason why this podcast is so successful is because that's true in in any part of the world if you can talk to people who um know more about you and experience more about you in that area the adventure is like ripe one of my favorite things about doing the podcast is having people sit down and then going on the adventure of this podcast, because this has been an adventure, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, like, like in itself, yeah. like, where are we going next? I know. How, how are we going to get here and how are we going to get there? But one of the coolest things, though, is whenever you finish recording and you're like, whoa. Yeah. And you reflect on it and maybe you'll reflect on it like, oh, I should have said this. Oh, I should have said that. But what that indicates is that you did it. And going on that adventure and conversations are adventure and showing up to places for the first time in your life are adventure and going on dates, dating, whoa, talk about adventurous, yeah. right? And you have things that go well and things that go bad and you share your first kiss and there's fireworks and then you get dumped and you are in the ashes, yeah. right? G going oscillating from end to end. That human condition is so full of adventure and we're so lucky we are so lucky that we get to deal with the ones and twos and the nines and tens and for guys like us we have to make sure like you said we break into those try and stay a little bit maybe we go back to the middle yeah. but if we consistently can be aware of it then that's a great thing but with people my favorite thing about social like interaction with people is it's unpredictable Right. Totally. Yeah. And that's the, I think it's the core of social anxiety is not having the ability to control the future. And anxiety is, I was listening to this guy speak. His name's Manny Arango, but he said, anxiety is proof that you're really creative. Cause when you're anxious, you're like, Oh, what if this happens? Yeah. What if, and we create all of these potential alternate endings. And whenever we go and we talk to somebody, it could go completely this way, completely that way. We have no clue, which makes really good conversations all the more special because they could have gone anywhere. Right. That's a really, really great point. Um, and I even think of it from like the teacher lens where as adults, we can, we can very pretty easily manage that. Um, and then I think of my middle school students where, 
you know, some of these, some of my students are like riddled with anxiety about raising their hand in class or participating in a different activity. And I'm, I'm constantly searching of like, what can I say to them? What can I do for them to help them feel more confident in that, that small little sliver of their day? Yeah. What's your favorite thing about teaching? It's always been the connections with the kids, the relationships. And, um, I see myself as a, as a, as a good teacher. Um, you know, I can teach the best practices. I understand, um, curriculum and how to build it and how to best, for the most part, best suit the variety of kids that I have in my class, you know, despite their needs. Uh, one class that I think of, uh, think of now is that there's, um, non-English speakers, there's kids with special needs, there's, um, kids that really excel. And then there's those that, um, are anxious, um, or don't like the things that we're doing in class. And so, um, I make it a point to, to be that person that they can connect with in whatever, in whatever fashion they walk into my class and they could be having a bad day or a great day or a day in between. And they know that they're going to get, you know, steady, Mr. Newman, uh, cool, calm and collected for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's, that's part of where I get that skill is, is, is being a teacher and being that steady presence for them. Uh, but definitely, you know, connecting with the kids and some kids don't need another adult in their life to connect with. And others really do. And I was that kid too, growing up, like I need positive adults other than the ones that were surrounding me immediately. Like, so coaches, teachers, um, other parents, those sorts of things. Like, um, the connection is, um, the most important thing in education. Did you have some really good teachers? I did. And I had, um, some really good coaches as well. And I can, you know, I, I remember them very, very fondly and, and, um, you know, I think of my, he became my cross country coach in high school, but he was my, one of my teachers in middle school. And he, he was that kind of that, that steady personality. Um, he's an older gentleman and, and, but I just remember thinking of him as not someone that I necessarily wanted to be, but someone that I really looked up to. And, um, he treated us all with kindness and respect, very firm. Um, and I think I appreciated that firmness from him, but, um, but he was also someone who believed in me and he saw, so like, you know, sixth grade PE class were, we're testing the mile run. And so we're, <laughs> you know, we're having to go outside and, you know, run four laps around this track as fast as you can see what happens. I busted my butt and he's like, Jeremy, um, cross country signups are next week. I'll see you there. And instantly it was like, Oh, he saw something good in me. Okay. I'll sign up. And I ran, uh, let's see, six years of cross country, middle school and high school. And it was because that single moment. And then that, so like that's like led to everything that who I am now, like, um, out of, out of after college, I played baseball in college, but after college I got back into endurance sports. So it was into triathlons and into mountain bike racing, but it was without that initial experience with connecting with one of my teachers, that simple little gesture by him, like made me who I am. Like 
So I, when I think of that, it's like, okay, I don't really, I don't necessarily put pressure on myself to be that for, for my students, but I know that I can be. And so I'm always looking for like those positive little nuggets that they, that they have. And even if it's a, even if it's a fist bump to one of my guys at, at lunch that he's a tough kid. And if I can give him a one fist bump a day, not even say a word, like there's a connection there. And so, yeah, those connections are to me are, are powerful because I experienced it. Wow. Yeah. You're changing the world through that. Well, it's, and it's tough. Like we talked about like celebrating it. It's tough to think of it that way. Like it, it's like the hero mentality. Like I'm not, I'm not, there's no way I'm setting out to be a hero or to save someone's day or I just want to have a little bit of an impact. And I know that the best way that I can do that is, is to be a teacher and to find the positives. You said connection is one of the most important things in education. And that made my head go, I'm thinking about all of the potential opportunities to look into that because it definitely is. Yeah. That's the power of a good teacher ability to communicate a certain subject matter, but all of that's lost if there is no connection. Absolutely. And well, and we know the saying too, that like, you don't, you hardly remember the teachers for what they taught you, but you remember how they made you feel. That's a hundred percent true. And I think that, that that's even outside the classroom too. Like you think of people in the community and that's what we're, that's what, I mean, that's what humans are. That's how we feel. It's like we can learn from other people and, and, but if they make us feel great, I'm gravitating towards that person. That's my guy. So if you were to say I'm an adventure or I'm an educator, which of those do you identify with more adventure? Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. You can, there, I mean, there's so many ways that we can twist and turn right, that too, yeah. but adventure is also a, a great teacher in life. Yeah, you can learn is. a lot through adventure and it's tough because I believe that I can have an impact as a teacher and going on adventure maybe seems like, Oh, that's, that's what I want to do. That's my path. And <clears throat> I don't think that we all have to have like a, a mission in life where we're impacting kids or impacting other people. Like there's certainly no pressure in life to have that, to have that mentality, but some people do. And some people are really great at it. But adventure is like, adventure is the way to go um, because that allows me to be the best version of myself. And granted, I need to have more adventure in my life. I need to be more intentional about it presently. But if I'm the best version of myself because of adventure and new experiences and growing, that I'm going to be a rock star husband and a father and a teacher, a friend. So adventure is for sure work for me is my, is going to be my, my rock. This is an adventure. Yeah. I said that once, but I'm thinking about it from your perspective. Yeah. Is going, let's do it. And showing up and thinking about what it's going to be like, but then sitting down and doing the sound check and seeing everything first person and behind the scenes. And then, hitting record and navigating that. So you're walking the walk. That's another thing about adventure, right? It, it can be a conversation. It can be traveling, but like you said, it can be twisting the thing and open up the blinds. Yeah. Right. 
Okay, yeah, I do have a uh, kind of a burning question from my perspective, and that is like the adventure of this of the podcast because I've I've followed it from from the beginning. Yeah, I remember when you first talked about like I'm gonna I'm gonna put this together and 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 so and then I remember you like there's a couple times at soccer where everyone had left and it was maybe just a couple of us still around and I remember you just like you were just almost like looking at the ground and it was like okay he's he's deep in thought right now. So then it got, okay, he's thinking about the podcast. And, and so I want to know about the adventure of this, of the podcast. Like what you've come a long way from our perspective as listeners, right? right, right. What does it look like for you? And then moving forward, <laughs> such a good question, right? Yeah. It's been a wild adventure because, uh, man, from, from the jump, just learning how to record audio, right? It's like, how do you record audio? Well, you have to use a microphone. Okay. But then I got my first microphones and I recorded the audio and I was using the software on my laptop, but it wasn't picking up my noise. So I was like, what the heck? So then I had to figure out the new microphone. Then I finally recorded audio that picked it up, but it was fuzzy. And then I had to figure all that out. So starting from there and learning where to get the equipment. And once you get the equipment, what are you going to podcast about? And once you forget what you're going to podcast about, how do you even get it online? And how do you get Apple podcasts to put your stuff up? How do you get, how do you convince Spotify to put your stuff up? Yeah. And then you get a trailer. And the weird thing about the podcast and how it's been a really big adventure is once I put the trailer up, Apple podcasts, put it on their homepage for top new trailers. I was like, what? So I started to get these listeners from all around the world. Oh, sweet. And like to this day, there's 80 people listening from Seattle. I've spent a few days in Seattle my whole entire life. I certainly don't know 80 people, but because it was put on uh, the homepage, then there are people in Seattle. I had a woman from Nigeria message me who's a nurse. And she says, whenever I am, and if you're listening, shout out to Beth, but whenever I am going around administering things to my patients and working as a nurse, I listen to your podcast. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Right. Oh so hearing that and sitting down and seeing all of this has been so cool. The, the fact that we've had someone like yourself, someone who's, who flies planes and is a teacher who's traveled the world uh, with such a cool background regarding like your family and how you've built family and see connection and education. And then a few weeks ago, we had someone who manages like a really large nonprofit. And then we have someone who, has won an Olympic gold medal and someone who's about to go to Harvard for a year and a guy who just graduated from Princeton and now he's going into leadership for organizations. And so seeing all of that's really cool, but man, I, one of the crazy things about adventure and maybe you may feel this way too, but sometimes it can be hard to recognize the adventure when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. It, whenever we're sitting around the campfire and we're talking about that big hike we went on in seventh grade and how adventurous it was that we were sleeping by the river and the wind was blowing over the river and it was frosting the side of our tent. But in the moment, we're just trying to stay warm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I can get really psyched out in my head of being like, I want this podcast to grow. And I, I've been learning more about advertisement, the advertisement model of podcasts. Mm -hmm. So to enlighten everybody, we all can benefit from this research here. The average podcast will make about 
$1.9 from every 100 downloads. Okay. Okay. Which means you have to get a thousand people to listen to one episode to make $19, which if we keep doing the math, if you get a hundred thousand, then you can make $1,900. Now it's really hard to get a hundred thousand people to listen to an hour's worth of content. So all to say, if you get into podcasting for the money, then you are going to be utterly disappointed. Yeah. But if you get into podcasting for the adventure and for the opportunity and for the potential to connect with all of these amazing people, then there's, this is one of the best ways to do it. And I, if people are listening and they're interested in podcasting, I'll sit down with you for free for like 30 minutes, an hour and talk to you about how to do it because I'm really passionate about the medium. And the reason why is it connects people. Yeah. You know, like my whole thing is people need to be more connected. And then there's this platform where you can literally connect the whole digital world. Then yeah, I'll help you do that. The adventure has largely been looking back yeah, and being able to see cool stuff. I think in the future, I, I'll have to have some, something, one thing I really want to do and you can help me put this on, but I want to have a really big event. Okay. And the event may be a live, maybe a live show. Like sometimes podcasts would do that. Yeah. Or just this big event where I invite every single guest that's ever been on the podcast, all of the listeners, and it's an actual like in-person event. Yeah. And people can show up. I run out of space and then we just do stuff. And in doing that, we get to act out this idea of showing up in person and being in conversation. But then we also get to be able to look back and be like, hey, that was really cool. You know, this little thing that has two different tripods with two different cameras and uh, a room that I stage before you get here. Like you showed up and you saw me staging it. It's able to be evolved into information and footage that people are watching everywhere. So like, I hope to get a big studio. I was talking to you about it. I have plans, but until then, you know, hopefully people trust me enough to come to my home. (laughs) You know, I try and be, and hopefully I trust people enough to invite them into my home. Yeah. Uh, so, so both sides of the house. Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things, um, to your points here is that I know I've noticed that, um, you make it look pretty effortlessly through, through the video, um, you know, through the, the production quality that you're pushing out. It's in my opinion, you're right up there with a lot of those bigger names and, um, having done that through the first, you know, bunch of episodes like you're still like in the infancy level of this thing and then i so then on a you know a grander scale is that a lot of these other podcasts that i've noticed is like sure you can make money through the podcast but they're also like branching out into these other things to make money that's it which i think is great for them Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's like selling courses or selling products or um you know other things like that whereas yours because of the nature of your podcast and your ability to connect people and bring people together, yours, I feel like will always, always, always be bringing people together. Mm, That's great. And so like the event that you spoke about, you know, people with like a like mind are going to come together and it's going to be the, the event of the year type of thing. 
with your, you know, your other podcasting ideas, like um, with helping some of the nonprofits, you're bringing people together. And so that's the beauty of what I see of this, of the podcast and the adventure in it is that you're not, you're not branching out to make money to make money. You're branching out to bring people together. And when it makes money, rightfully so, it should. It should. It's all about the metric that you're measuring. If I were to measure how much money I made from podcasting, then I'd be screwed, right? Yep, yep. But I took this job whenever I was a freshman in college over the summer, and I was a server at the rooftop, which was a pizzeria in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, downtown Broken Arrow. Okay. Broken Arrow is a town essentially the size of Lawrence, Kansas. So it's not too small, not too big. And on the rooftop in Broken Arrow during the summer, it gets incredibly hot. The sun beats down. And they, I'd show up at, to work as a server and they'd say, hey, you have four tables. I'm like, oh, wow, four tables. That's pretty good. Yeah. I can make some good tips. And they'd be like, you're outside. And I was like, oh, dang. Nobody sat outside. Yeah. And I would leave with like five bucks, 10 bucks. And I told myself, if I show up every day and I think how much tips I make depends, determines whether or not I had a good day, I'm going to have a lot of bad days this summer. So I need to transition my focus into how good can I get at talking to the tables that I do have? Yeah. How good can I get at making them feel, wow, this is one of the most relaxing meals I've had. This, the chef's doing the whole food thing. But how good can I make their experience so that even if the food sucks, they're like, man, the service was incredible. And the server is really thoughtful. He knows not to check up on it too much because he can read our body language and little things like that. So changing and switching that. And with the podcast, my goal is one, to honor people and then two, to become a better communicator. And I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, It's to showcase conversation. My goal is that whenever people hear this, they go, oh, cool. I have a role in the whole human thing. And I have ability to socialize and I have ability to connect with my neighbor or my boss or mm-hmm. the students that I work with. Yeah. You're on the money. Yeah. I'm so happy that we had this conversation because, I mean, I didn't even really think of it in that frame of mind until, until we sat down. Me neither. me neither man yeah all right i have a few questions for you You ready yeah i'm ready all right what motivates you the most Ooh, man it's funny because milk duds just popped in my mind (laughs) (laughs) you really um, like milk duds yeah um yeah of course like the core part of my life is you know family and you know what we're all about um, and, and so they're the large motivator of, you know, what I do day to day. Best advice you've ever received. Today is the day. I would say today is the day. And, and that, again, it's, it's a mindset, but like live it up today, knowing that like tomorrow's going to be a little different. Yeah. One thing you wish more people knew about you. Uh, my wife would laugh at this, but my. I got my sense of humor, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's probably, you know, f- you know, full of dad jokes type of thing. But I think when I get going, sometimes I can crack a joke here and there. The man's got jokes. <laughs> and then if there were a billboard that was going to be seen by millions of people, 
what would you have it say? Hmm. I think it would be, well, I think it would be do everything with love. And, you know, there's different levels of love, of course. Like, I love you different than I love my wife or, or my kids. But if you, if you can love everyone, I think, the, I think just within our, our own little bubbles, our own little circles, we can have such a, a positive, you know, impact on each other. And if there's, if there's love all around, and I, you know, this is, I don't want to get too deep on it, but if there's love all around, like the, the, the communities that we live in and the world is, is a much better place. And I think some people in some cultures are really good at it, at, at loving everyone, loving others, other places. And some people have, have work to do, but I think it's, it's connecting with people like this and, and spreading the joy and the love. And, um, that's, the, I think that's powerful stuff. Me too. And you're doing it. We are doing it. Thank you for being here. It was really fun to have you here. Yeah. You exemplify adventure and connection, which I think are synonymous. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. I was really looking forward to, talk, to talking to you. Um, this is, whether it's through a podcast or not, it's, this is, um, I feel like a really incredible connection. So I appreciate it. Of course. And we will see you next time, folks. 